This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Speed Series episodes are straight to the point, no BS answers to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question and want it answered, submit your question using the link in the description. Thanks for listening, and good luck this season. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude Speed Series Q&A. Today, I have a special guest on, a guy from Ohio that I look up to a lot, the Iceman, none other than Mr. Heath Sisko. Heath, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, thanks for uh, reaching out and uh, having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it's going to be a great show today. We're actually recording two podcasts, so we're going to do the Speed Series episode, and then we'll have the main episode launch on Friday. So it's kind of like uh, a Heath Sisko week on the podcast, if you will. But uh, we're sitting in Heath's trophy room right now and it's unbelievable it's there's a ton of giant deer on the wall so you guys are going to want to pay attention to this one for sure well all right let's get right into it so today's question is from bowhunter91 on instagram and his question is what is the best way to break down and figure out your entry to a specific tree you're going to hunt Heath, i'll let you uh start out with this one sure so in my opinion if there's a specific tree you want to hunt well there's a reason that you picked out that specific tree so um, I pick out my trees according to where I expect the buck to be, where I expect him to come from, and what I expect him to be doing, whether it's morning or evening. So that determines my access. Um, so if it's an evening spot and I'm hunting a buck that I know is bedded over a ridge uh, and, and I know he's going to be moving around this side, either going to an acorn flat or headed to an ag field, I'll use my access to where I stay the farthest away from him. And when he's leaving that area, I don't want to run into him and bump him afterwards in case I need to throw a second set at it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Do you ever set a tracker or anything and then actually like follow your access route so you have it on your phone? Yeah, I, I do it with Onyx, but what it really aggravates me because um, I'm trying to find, let's say if I'm walking in in the morning and there's certain points where I need to turn right or go straight or I'm going to the base of my tree and you know a lot, most of them spots I have never hunted before because it's my first time I want to do, you know, virgin set, first set. So the Onyx and stuff like that, what I found when I try to zoom in on it, that little dot bounces around so it could be within 20 to 40 yards 
which is really aggravating. So sometimes I may use uh, night eyes or something like that going in. And then again, you may want to, it depends on your situation, just come in right at pink light. Yeah, that makes sense. I've had the same issue with the Onyx tracker before and I try to use it, but that's uh, that's why it's almost easier to access in the hills, if you ask me, because mm-hmm. the drainage is the drainage. So you know where you're at at all times. Yes. We're in farm country. If everything looks similar, I could definitely see how you would get turned around pretty bad. Yes. Drainages are a great way to, uh, to access. And then what I do is when I need to turn up the bank, I'll throw a log across it, you know, or a stick or something that will make me go or tells me to turn. And I don't want to put, you know, like ribbon or maybe night eyes and stuff. Depends on how many other people are hunting the property. Don't want to give away your spot. So totally understandable. One thing I do, I actually did this yesterday is I set up a, a kill scrape and I have the exact tree that I would sit in for that spot. And it would be a morning sit area. And what I did is I went to the kill tree and I just scraped the leaves away with my feet. That way, when I get there, A, it's quiet. And B, I know to find the bare spot on the ground. Like yes. that's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a great point on scraping away leaves at the bottom of your trees. Because when you come in in the morning and you're, you're hanging hunt, uh, you don't want to be making a bunch of racket. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't. So... In the hills, there's a couple things I want to cover as far as access goes. And like we talked about, the Onyx tracker is definitely something I use a lot. As far as determining access for me, it has a lot to do with how the bedding is going to set up as well. And not just necessarily like the specific buck bedding, but the doe bedding and any satellite buck bedding. And so typically what I'll do in the areas I'm hunting, if it's a hub system, is I will go into it and find where I want to kill roughly like, hey, there's a hub scrape here. There's a white oak flat or a, a feed tree if you will, like a solitary lone white oak that I want to target. And I'll go try to find all the bedding in the area and mark it on my map. And then from each bed, I'll just see what I can, I'll try to like get at like, you know, waist level and just see if I can see it like myself accessing or not in the springtime. So I know that when the leaves come on, I should definitely be okay. I try to pay a lot of attention to that. I'll also do a lot of wind mapping for my access as well, just to make sure that it's going to be off wind of any of the bedding areas. Like for example, if I'm going up a drainage that's really steep and I know there's doe bedding up on top of it, I really like to try to make sure that my thermals aren't going to pull up to them and then they'll blow and run over to the buck bedding. So I'll find little nuances like that. Do you have any specific examples of just like really good access that you've had the last couple of years that's resulted in a kill? I completely agree with everything you said. I mean, that's getting minute, fine detail. That's exactly what you need to do. Certain areas, certain farms um, have terrible access. If you have a farm with a great access, it makes it a lot easier to hunt, makes it bigger to hunt. Uh, One of the pieces of property I have, my access is terrible. I got to cross all these deer trails to get in there, but I've got, it was a nice little road and stuff up there. So um, I have an e-bike. I got it off of Steve Pinkston. It's a hardcore e-cycle and I can ride that e-bike down them trails across the paths and everything. And the bucks can come walking right across them and never pick up any of your scent. So it makes it great. Some of the other ones are, you know, small creeks that have a little bit of water in them. I mean, a lot of them dry up and stuff. If you can access those, but then again, you got to watch what your thermals and stuff are doing. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't hurt to jump a few deer, but you don't want those deer running into where the buck's bedding. These areas get a little tight, so you're going to jump some deer. You just don't want them to go over and, you know, domino effect on your buck and run him over a ridge and stuff like that. But drainages, sometimes I come over a backside of the ridge and then loop around and then come up. Just depends. Every situation is different. I'll do that a lot. And a lot of the areas I hunt border private. And so I can't come in directly from up the drainage. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do the same thing. I'll I'll skip over the ridge in another drainage, like to the north, if I have a south wind. Mm -hmm. And I'll loop around the front of that ridge and then come up where I can in that drainage to try to get set up. So you almost... 
I call it like Jay hooking the buck. Yes. Like we're doing the same thing they're trying to do to us. Absolutely. Just beating their nose. Um, I've killed several of my bucks just because of my access. You know, a lot of people had tried to hunt them in those areas, but it's just changing up your access using, let's say, a cow pasture to come across. Um, you know, it's hard to come in when you got a piece of property and there's all ag fields out front and you're trying to get in the back. A lot of times you can't do that. You got to go in after it gets daylight. You got to let them deer filter back into the fields, then do your loop around through there. Because if you try to bust it across that field, you know, right before pink light, those deer are all out there and you're just going to blow them. And, you know, the bucks could even, they know something's going on and they may avoid uh, certain areas or where they've had contact and stuff before. So have you witnessed deer bedding in specific locations just to have a visual on the typical hunter access routes? I don't know. You know, I can't read a deer's mind. So there has been situations that I've thought that, but I don't know if it's just because that sets up good for them or they actually looking for something to happen. You know what I mean? Or somebody to access that. I know there's certain uh, locations and farms that I've hunted to where you always jump a buck off of this one point and that one point overlooks where everybody comes in. Now, whether that's just coincidental or it just sets up right, I don't know for sure. Yeah. The reason I asked that question is uh, some of my best hunts I've had and most successful hunts I've had were when I took a totally out of the box access route to get in there. Like there's an easier way to do it or even multiple easy ways to do it. For whatever reason in my head, I decide for the day, hey, I'm going to make this big giant loop and come in the exact opposite way that anybody else would come in and kill a deer. I'm like, holy cow, I wonder there's something to this. Let's say you got a 200 acre farm and the parking spot's in one spot and you know, there's three or four different people hunting it. And for years, everybody comes in that same way. I want to change it up. I'm like you. And the more I change it up, the more success I have. The dad's buck that I killed in 2021. Mm-hmm. So he was bedded. We had a northeast wind. If you remember that year, we had like east winds for the first yes. two weeks of season. And I just so happened to need an east wind to kill that deer in that spot. But he was bedded on a southwest facing slope. And I had to come in from the north because the south side was all private. And I couldn't get permission to access through there. It would have been bulletproof if I could, but I just couldn't get the permission. So I made a big two mile loop. And when I was coming in, I had a Northeast wind blowing like this. He's bedded here. I'm accessing from here. And as I was working down into that system, I had like a just off wind on his bed. And so I was throwing milkweed. I remember doing this and thinking like, man, if he's any place besides this one little pocket, he's going to bust me. And it's actually kind of funny because the bed that he would lay in on a south wind, I walked directly through that bed and kicked a deer out of that bed. And in my head, I was like, you know, it could have been him, but I don't think it was because the wind was backwards. And that could get you in trouble too, with just assuming what deer are going to mm-hmm. do. And I was, I was definitely doing that in that circumstance, but it must not have been him. And it must've been another buck, a satellite buck or a doe, because I did make the full loop and Jay hook in and he came down off his bed way early and I, I shot him. So, so just, you know, sometimes you're not always going to have the most bulletproof access. Sometimes in my opinion, the access is more risky than the hunt setup is. Yep, definitely. So some of my more successful hunts are harder to hunt bucks. Uh, was Totally because of my access. Now, have you had bucks that were inaccessible? Have you ever seen that before, like yep. in the hills? Oh, absolutely in the hills. I mean, there's certain ones that have it set up and it's just perfect for them. And you got to hope for, let's say, a red moon or something to get them moving, um, a, a weather front that comes through. You need to get them. Uh, they could be unkillable within 150 to 200 yards of their setup. But if they can get out to 300 yards, maybe that takes them over the next little finger where you can set up safely. So. You look for weather fronts and different things that's going to get those deer up and moving sooner to hopefully capitalize on them spots. And in that situation, 
would you wait for that specific condition? And there's two ways to approach that. You know he's there, you know he's really inaccessible, but you could sit back and hunt him a lot, just hoping one of those days it happens. Or you wait for the perfect condition day like you talked about. In my opinion, I think I would lean towards waiting for the perfect day because I don't want to be in there all the time intruding. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. It depends on your situation, whether I'm on a week hunt out of state, then I got to go for it. I got to try to push the envelope. If I'm at home, um, you know, that's what I'll do. I'll wait for the perfect weather condition. It's like the buck I killed this past uh, fall. It was close to home. Uh, I knew him from several years prior, had, uh, um, you know, trail camera pictures and stuff of him. And I just knew I just needed to wait till the perfect weather condition for him to move out into that feeding area. And that's what it did. So as the season goes on, I know that you're really big into late season hunting. You know, if you get in that situation, you're a killer late season, January and early February. So I hunt a lot that time. So I don't know if a lot of uh, what the percentage is of my success. I'll take that percentage. From my experiences last year, last year is the first year that I've ever had January hunting to do. And it's cold. The leaves are frozen. You know, there's no leaf cover on any of the trees. The deer in the hills can see four, 500 yards in some of these areas. Like it's in my opinion, it's it's very difficult to hunt. So do you have any tips for accessing late season? You have to stay out of where they can't see you. They definitely can't hear you. You need a, and there's very few of them, a bulletproof setup to get in and get out because you may need multiple hunts. Most of the time when I kill my deer, it's on the very first hunt. Um, I'll go in there, I'll scout it. I'll figure out what they're doing. I'll run a couple cameras. The cameras I set up are easy access where I can go in and check them. Or their cell cameras. It just depends. But you can't let them see you. And you got all these other satellite deer and stuff like that. So it makes it tough, especially on big hills. Big hills. What I found out is I'm usually want to hunt over the ridge towards an ag field or where he's coming from. I can't get in there where he's at uh, within probably 300 yards to 400 yards. I need to get farther away. So that goes back to the whole thing. I hunt around weather fronts. I hunt high pressure days. Uh, I try to line it up when we do have a. Uh, you know, overhead or underfoot moon in that last uh, hour or so of prime time, you know, stuff like that. Something that's going to get them moving sooner, like after a cold, you know, the storm comes in. I may hunt the first part of the storm, but it's really tough. But after that storm passes through and the first day where that sun pops out, man, those things are going to be up and feeding and just moving around like ants on hills and stuff like that. So I use those points to jump in there and try to get it done that time because going in and out, you know, you're going to bust deer. Man, I just had the ultimate light bulb moment because last year I told you a little bit of this story, but I was targeting a deer that was coming out to a private food source. And I had a big ridge that ran north south. We're actually going to get into this in the next podcast because I've heard you talk about this before. But so he was bedded on the windward side of that ridge. I didn't know this at the time, but he was bedded on the windward side and crossing over the top of the ridge and then walking a subridge spine about a mile down into that private food source. And so in my head, this is one of those assumption things I was doing. I assumed he was betting leeward. I just, I was like, he's betting leeward. It's late season. He's been through a bunch. Like that's what that deer is going to be doing. And I ran a camera on that ridge and I went and checked it and I had him on that camera like 15 minutes after dark. So I set up in that spot, didn't pay attention to any of those factors you just talked about. I had the right wind for the day. Set up in that spot, didn't have an encounter. The next day I pushed 50 yards further. The next day I pushed to the next bedding area and the next bedding area. And it took me a long time to catch up with that deer on the backside of the ridge. But if I would have waited for the right factors and had everything line up, 
it probably would have been more effective than me going in there 15 times to try to kill that deer. I mean, what you said makes all the sense in the world. So looking back on that hunt, I think that I would wait for the right conditions. I would have hunted that first night still because he was 15 minutes off. But after that, I would have definitely waited for the perfect conditions to line up and have some sort of front roll through. And I probably would have had an opportunity at him. Sure. And if you have time, you know, sometimes we don't have time, but um, it's best in late season to wait for the right conditions. And you you learn that after screwing it up every year for who knows how many years, because that's what I've done. And that's how I picked up on it. And then, you know, running cameras, let's say, uh, let's say over bait in Ohio, you're allowed to bait. So late season, you run a camera over, let's say corn. Well, why is it that, uh, that that buck shows up an hour after dark every night, but this night he was there an hour before dark. Then the next night he was there an hour before dark. And then he's just, you know, week after that, it's all, he's after dark. So why is that? You know, setting a trail camera up just in the woods with nothing like that, just on trails and stuff like that, they could go behind it. They could go out in front of it. So you can't really, it takes you long, a longer period of time to figure all that out. And, you know, from running cameras over bait and stuff, and especially a cell camera, because when, you, when you're running a cell camera, you can see, okay, he just showed up. Why did he show up? So you look at, you look at the moon, you look at what kind of weather conditions did we have that day? And you start figuring out how these deer, what conditions put them on their feet the earliest. And then you use that in all your other places where you're not, it doesn't matter if you got bait out or not. You just know that that deer is going to be moving farther away from his bed in this type of condition. You know, like late season, overcast days, dreary days or whatever. I used to love to hunt those, but I didn't see that many deer. Then it's like when it's pretty outside and it actually warms up, you know, it's been really cold to previous two or three days, then the sun comes out and, you know, you feel alive. You just want to get outside and stuff. The deer are the same way. They, they move a lot more. They get up, they browse a lot more. They'll, they'll move farther away from their beds. And if they move farther, the farther they move away from their bed, the more opportunity us hunters have. That makes all the sense in the world. It makes access a lot easier. It just does. I mean, mm-hmm. you can just play the, the safety game a little bit there as opposed to being extremely aggressive. Well, that's, that's a great answer, to be honest with you, man. I think we killed it. Do you have any other tips or anything access-wise you want to cover real quick? If you're hunting a particular buck and the access that you've tried before to hunt a certain situation, whatever and it doesn't happen maybe you need to readjust that access and then look at what the other hunters in that area are doing and uh, just use the terrain to your advantage Uh, use the weather conditions to your advantage creeks are a great way to access and you want to be able to get multiple hunts in an area uh, so you want to do the less damage you can to be able to make that happen. I always try to capitalize on the first hunt but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Well awesome Heath thanks for uh, hopping on the speed series with me. Sure. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for today's show, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time.